name is Mary Cruz, and welcome to, I'm so glad you asked, Every Woman Has a Story, and I Want to Hear Yours. Welcome to Episode 2, Neither Here Nor There. I would like to introduce my guest, Lisa Macchione, and today we'll be discussing a few different stories, but we're going to first start with what it was like growing up the child of an immigrant. So Lisa, please introduce yourself and tell everyone how we know each other. Hi, I'm Lisa Macchione, and we know each other because my husband and I went to high school with your husband. Yep. Um, and we have a similar friends group. And so when you moved here, we were introduced. And then as time went on, we just realized that we had a lot in common. And we started hanging out. And you were on the library board. And I work for the library. So we had a lot of sh- stories to share. It just kept going from there. Our friend Rachel, sometimes I feel like I owe a lot of things to her because she's like the connector. She's like my six degrees of Kevin Bacon <laughs> out here. So, Rachel, if you're listening, I'd like to thank you. Thanks, Rachel. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Rachel. (laughs) I know you're a writer, but if you'd like to share a little bit about that, and then we can talk a little bit about it at the end, too. Yeah, so I am a writer, predominantly a poet. I've published poems in several journals. I've done a bit of nonfiction and academic work. I studied with an English degree and a master's. I have a master's in English Lit, and I taught college when I was, like, in my mid-20s. That's so cool. So I've been teaching college... um, for almost a decade. And then I started a writer's group in Yorkville, Illinois, where I was living. And then I had the opportunity to become the facilitator for the St. Charles Writers Group, which was in my hometown. And I knew it had a great reputation. So I was thrilled that I was able to take on that position as the facilitator. And I've been doing that since 2017. And I can attest that Lisa is a wonderful facilitator. I attended the group during covid online which was amazing and I've gone in person and who whoever is listening to this if you live here or if you live far and you are looking to hone your skills or share and join a community Lisa is a, just a tremendous guide almost so now we are going to get in to what is the story that shaped you we're going to start off first and foremost about what it was like for Lisa to grow up the child of an immigrant and then we're going to take a sail from there on a journey and connect some dots about things throughout her life that shaped her so Lisa thank you for sharing I really appreciate it and the floor is yours so please tell us what that was like all right I grew up in the 80s in Hanover Park Illinois My mother was born and raised in Chicago. She was from a family with seven kids. They were super, super poor, she will say. Now the neighborhood, as a matter of fact, that she used to live in, Lincoln Park is like the the fanciest neighborhood in Chicago. But back then, they lived in like a garden apartment. Mm -hmm. It was one of those kind of situations where like all the family members lived in nearby apartments or in the same building. But my father, he was born in Bangkok, Thailand. And his parents actually emigrated from China to Burma, where they met each other. Oh, wow. Both of them walked from China to Burma. And then they met each other, and they fell in love, and they wanted to raise a family. And they decided that Thailand was a safe place that they could grow their family together. So they moved to Thailand, and my father was the second born. I have an aunt, she was the firstborn, and then came my father. So in, in Asian cultures, the firstborn male is a really big deal. So he always okay. carried that weight oh, wow. of being the firstborn okay. male. So he was raised in Thailand okay. t- from Chinese parents. So my father was an immigrant's kid too. Wow. 
Yeah. I think it's very poetic. That's how the beginning of your father's life started. To be honest with you, there was a physical journey on foot. I know. Lisa, that's beautiful. Yeah. It's incredible. Like I have chills. Yeah. It's, it's in your blood. Mm-hmm. It's like literally in your blood. Yes. I feel that way too. Do, I honestly oh, do. Oh my gosh. Yep. It took me a long time. It took me until now, as a matter of fact, to understand that I'm a part of two different worlds Mm -hmm. that he must have too because his parents were speaking Chinese in the home. He was surrounded by Thai people who were from Thailand. And so he was caught between two worlds too. So a lot of the foods that we eat were Thai because that's what he grew up with. Mm -hmm. But then some of the foods were Chinese and he almost can't articulate where anything came from. And it took me until my 40s to understand that my father was also of two worlds so when he came to america that's now like the third world that he's a part of and it gives me so much empathy for how i was raised Mm -hmm. and how he is today and the decisions that he made and it took me all the way through my adulthood to be able to understand that right now at this point like you see your dad through a different lens yeah Oh my gosh. How old was he when he emigrated to the United States? Just early 20s. 20s. And so my aunt, who was the firstborn daughter, she came to Chicago on a work visa. Okay. She was working in the hospital and that allowed her to be able to sponsor her siblings to come with. So initially three siblings came with my father, my uncle, and another aunt. And so my father came over here and he was here for a time. He was in his early 20s okay. and he struggled to find a job he was working in different industries he said that he tossed pizzas for barnaby's have you ever gone to barnaby's i've never no but not <laughs> i would like to now <laughs> he like had a hot dog cart for a while oh my gosh yes. i love that he eventually became a machinist because machinist it was a good steady job long story short eventually he had to go back to thailand and then he came back okay. and he met my mother okay and so they fell in love and got married in Chicago. They met in Chicago in the 70s. Oh, my gosh. What a great time. I think all decades are great, but what a great time <laughs> to be in Chicago in the 70s. Yeah. He, is, he has like an afro, kind of like really bushy Amazing. hairstyle in his wedding picture, and he's wearing a powder blue suit that has bell bottoms. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's great. I was born in 1980, and they moved out to the suburbs, and there weren't a lot of kids like me when I was growing up. There weren't a lot of kids who were of two cultures that that had a parent at home that spoke another language that was a different religion my father's buddhist and my mother's catholic oh wow so that was always a sticking point because that was just so it was so uncommon back then and as a matter of fact when they were married it had only been 10 years since it was legal for two people of different races to marry it had only been 10 years it was 1967 that that law was passed and they got married in 1977 yeah isn't that crazy yeah that's such a humbling fact, like to think about it had been just 10 years. Mm-hmm. It should always, it should have just been forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, was there like a reason they chose to come out to the suburbs? They actually, they wanted to come out to the suburbs because they felt that it would be a nice place to raise their kids. So we lived in Hanover Park for a time and then we moved here to St. Charles when I was okay. about nine years old. And so I've been raised here ever since. Do you remember that vividly? Oh, vividly. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. St. Charles was totally different back then. It was horse country and we had a horse actually. So that's the reason why they wanted to come out here. So it was horse country. It was smaller and it was a lot different than how it is today. Some things seem very similar, the same, but other things felt different. So I I was, my last name, by the way, my maiden name is Lee P.P. Pot Vong. So I was Lisa Lee P.P. Pot Vong growing up. And as you can imagine, that was 
there was no one else yeah. with a name like that. I can imagine. Yeah. As much as right now is like a 44-year woman, I think that's beautiful and it's incredible. But as a nine-year-old girl, I can imagine there was nobody else with that name. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you can imagine yeah. that I was teased. Yeah, I was teased. Really sorry. That yeah. I think some of it was lighthearted or no. well-intentioned teasing. I mean, and I'm just going to do a side note. I've never liked any type of teasing, even if it's just like lighthearted. Mm-hmm. Like I just am so sensitive to people and I just I don't like teasing at all. Me too. So I'm just really, I'm very sorry because I mean, that has got to be incredibly hard. Nine years old is such a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Formative? Those are formative yes, years. Yes, absolutely. Like super formative. Absolutely. And I felt different, but I also didn't know I was different. Okay. I don't know how to explain that. I was born and raised in America. Yeah. My family situation was different, but it was the only thing that I ever knew. Yeah. It was the only thing that I knew was to eat Thai food and a father that would take me back to Chicago and we'd eat Chinese food and we'd eat Thai food with my relatives. My father made a decision to not teach me Thai. Okay. And it's something that I really regret to this day. But his motivation behind that was that he really wanted me to be fully American. He chose to come here. He chose to become an American citizen. And he wanted me to be an American. Now knowing this, yeah. all these years later, yeah. I think to myself, he probably experienced a lot of the same things that I did being a child of immigrants himself. Absolutely. And he probably had troubles with language because if his parents were speaking Chinese in the home and then he had to go to school and speak Thai, he probably experienced feeling like he was of two worlds. Mm -hmm. And maybe he didn't, maybe he wanted to save me from that. It's a totally different mindset. I think now when you talk to immigrants, a lot of times you hear that people are trying to preserve their language and they are. And because the science has come out in linguistics, which I took in college, Mm -hmm. that children can pick up any language that they're exposed to before the age of 12. Oh my gosh. It's yeah. But he didn't know that. He just wanted me to be American. I think there, there's definitely such a shift because I remember my mother's parents are from Italy. No, my, yeah, my mother's parents are from Italy and she grew up in a house with her, both sets of grandparents and she vividly remembers they only wanted her to speak English. Mm -hmm. So it's similar. And I think it's just the time at the time, I guess people wanted to come here and immerse themselves, but now it's so different. Like you said, I would want to preserve and just immerse myself back into the culture. Wow. I'm not sure if my father factored into the equation that later I wouldn't, I, there's a barrier between me and my family yeah. when it comes to language. Your family in Thailand? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And they speak English. They all know how to speak English, but it intimidates me. Every time we would travel to Thailand, he was always there as an interpreter. And oh, so wow. I feel this loss in that he's not going to be around forever. Yeah. And I don't have that part of me that I feel would forge a stronger connection. Yeah. That I would be able to go and do it on my own. I could go to Thailand and I could get my way around. It's such a different world. And then also I feel sad because I can't pass that on to my kids. And I would have if I could have. How often had you gone back to Thailand as a child? Yeah, he did a really good job with that. We went the first time I think we went when my brother was a baby and I was probably about five. Okay. And then they tried to go back every two years after that but as and I'm realizing this now as a parent as time goes on it gets harder to Mm -hmm. pull your kids out of school it takes pretty much with travel 24 hours to get to Thailand is it and it's not direct is it is it a no yeah no so we would always like 
there used to be an airlines called Northwest. We would, I think I remember that. Mm-hmm. We would fly Northwest, and they, their hub was out of Minneapolis, St. Paul. So okay. we, you'd fly up there, and then you'd maybe fly to Los Angeles. And then from Los Angeles, you'd go to Tokyo or Taiwan or Singapore. You know, you'd have a stopover, and then you would go to Bangkok. So it was it's cumbersome, honestly. I can imagine. That is truly a journey. Yeah. And think about my mom, who had never been anywhere. Never when been she everywhere? Ma- when she married my father. Never anywhere traveling to thailand with her two young children like a baby and a, like a little, all like that a, way and i'm assuming was one of the trips the first time she met your dad's extended family oh yeah mm-hmm. oh wow okay oh my gosh yeah so they did a good job we went i think three times when i was in grade school or three we went twice when i was in grade school once when i was in junior high once when i was in high school and then i got to go once when i was in my senior year of under like my undergraduate okay and that was just me and my father at that point mm-hmm. like at some point we had animals and things like that and it was hard for my mom to get the time off yeah. work so i think there was one or two trips where he just took us kids and then the final one that i went on which was in 2001 oh wow that's okay. the last time i've been to thailand it was just me and him which is also very poetic. Kind it was of. really poetic. It's it very was, poetic. It was a really special trip because unfortunately my grandpa had passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. And this is your dad's dad. Yes. Okay. And so we went back and we took his ashes back to Hainan, China, where his where he was born. Oh my gosh. And we got to meet our Chinese family. And we they had a huge ceremony with fireworks and Chinese opera and the whole village. It was just like Almost like it was like jungle almost. Oh my gosh. They all, everybody heard that Americans and Thais were coming to this tiny little, just in the middle of nowhere it felt. And so everybody came from everywhere because they wanted to meet us. And they, so it was this big celebration that lasted nearly 24 hours with all these different things that they did. They lit candles into coconut shells and they set them adrift down a river. It was, it was so incredible. It was so incredible. And so I feel so lucky that I got to go with my father to see my grandfather's ashes off. I've read um, your poems and your short stories, and you are a prolific writer, I believe. Um, chicken and rice. Uh-huh. Do you mind if we talk about that for sure. a minute? Okay, so chicken and rice, which trip was that based off of? That was the trip that okay. we got to, that we, the Thai family and me and my father got to go back to China okay. and see where my grandfather was from. Uh-huh. And so that story is... If you don't mind sharing. Yeah, no. I loved reading that story, Lisa. <laughs> I felt transported and I learned something about a culture that I didn't know. And I think that's beautiful. Thank you. Oh, yeah. It's great. So yeah, please share about chicken and rice. Chicken and rice is... When we got there, Hainan is the largest island off of China. Okay. And it's in the South China Seas and it's about the same latitude i always get them confused it's on the same level as hawaii essentially hainan is known it's famous especially in it's starting to become a thing over here too which i'm always so surprised by but back then like it was really famous in i believe it's singapore and the hawker stalls that they have there people make this chicken and rice that comes out of hainan and it's basically just like a chicken that's poached and then they take the chicken stock and they use it to make the rice. Mm. And it doesn't sound like it's much, but it's just so flavorful. And they serve it with a relish and it's just absolutely delicious. And it's what Hainan is known. It's the dish that Hainan is known for. Oh, wow. So as soon as we got there, we have a Chinese cousin and he comes and picks us up in the airport. Nobody had ever met him before. And he took us to go eat Hainan chicken and rice. Oh, cool. And we thought that was incredible. It was just so cool. What we didn't know is that every meal we ate thereafter for almost the entire week 
he would give us chicken and rice. And I was like, this isn't like the food that we'd get from the Chinese restaurant in America. Like, where's the noodles? Like, (laughs) where's the egg drop soup? So that's that story. I was 21 years old and I still definitely maintained a little bit of that surliness of being a a teenager. I wasn't a teenager anymore, but I remember just being miffed. Like, I want to eat something else. (laughs) (laughs) Like raising your hand. Is there there anything else we can eat? Right. Oh, I love I love that story. So the last trip you took to Thailand with your father was when you were 21 yeah. in 2001. What, what time of year was it? It was April, I think. April. Okay. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Oh, wow. And you haven't been back since. No, I haven't been back since. I, I ended up doing my master's abroad in Leiden, the Netherlands. That's, what made you choose that? I, I love knowing that you did that overseas. Frankly, I was dating a German guy. I love that. that relationship didn't work out, but I still had the amazing experience of living abroad. So I looked into schools because we were like long distance. And okay. I looked into schools because I wanted to do my graduate degree in English. Mm-hmm. And so that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to go to Europe to do an English degree when you live in America. <laughs> a lot of times people scratch their heads. They're like, oh, okay. But like you said earlier, I really felt like it was in my blood. I really felt oh, yeah. like it was my journey that my grand parents had moved and my father had moved and I was going to move too. Mm-hmm. And I loved my time over there. I absolutely loved it. But it wasn't in the cards. Yeah. Once I had completed my degree, I did look for work over there. The relationship had fizzled out. That's fine. I believe that it was the uh, springboard for me to get to have that experience. Absolutely. I wasn't able to find a job that would have been sustainable for living over there. So I came home. Okay. So this and- is now 2003, four. 2004. 2004. The, I flew home on Christmas Day, I think. Wow. Yeah, I flew home on Christmas because I just actually found my old plane printout ticket. Um, I also save all those things. Yeah. <laughs> I have a box. And I like bo- look at all. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I came home in 2004 and my husband, who I had known from high school, had just, he had lived out in Arizona. He came back to St. Charles. And so it was one of those things that were like both 24 at this point. And it's like, I'm back. I'm back home with my parents. And he was like, me too. And things just went from there. So we got married. We moved to Chicago and we went on our honeymoon to Italy. Oh, I love that. I loved it too. Had I known, however, that my grandma was going to pass away, I think I would have made a different decision. So we had just come back from our honeymoon, essentially, and my grandmother passed away. And we just, it was not in the cards for us to be able to go with my father back to Thailand that time. I'm so sorry. Yeah. And then life just keeps going on. After living in Chicago, we moved to the suburbs, and then we had a couple of kids. And then all of a sudden, you wake up, and it's 20 years, 22 years later. I kind of find it fascinating. I feel like this happens in a lot of our lives where your parents had lived in Chicago and then they moved to the suburbs. Like they had a couple kids, Mm -hmm. they moved to the suburbs. And now you're saying, yes, we got married, we lived in Chicago, we had a couple kids, and then we moved to the suburbs. That's not necessarily everyone's story. But I love that you're – it's in your blood. It's following in the footsteps, right, like your parents. I'm the first generation that I know of that is still here, like that stayed. And I think that there's a part of me that feels like – it's in my blood. I'm supposed to, I love to travel. My husband and I actually talk about maybe someday we'll retire mm. somewhere abroad. I, he knows very much that I, I always talk about maybe we'll move to Thailand or maybe we'll, but it's also astounding to me that I live in St. Charles because there's a half of my family that picked up and moved. Yep. But then I also realize, and this has taken me a long time, is that if my grandparents walked from China, oh yeah, to make a better life for themselves 
And if my father came to America to make a better life for himself, and then he has a child and she stays where he brought, where he put down roots, then isn't that sort of a success story for the line of my family? Yes, and your I, I I can almost picture your father feeling such an immense proud moment. That is such a successful story to say that my daughter loved it here so much that she chose to stay. Yeah, and and we're thriving. We love oh, St. Charles. We love we our house. community and our friends that we have here and he put down roots and they grew. Has it ever been a conversation with your dad about that? Does he ever mention, oh, it's so great you guys live in St. Charles? Or No, we don't yeah. talk like that. No, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the beautiful thing is about social media is there was a long time when I had no idea what was happening with my family in Thailand, but now I can see all their Instagram videos and Instagram stories and see their children be raised. And even though I'm not there, I still feel like I'm getting to witness it in a way, yep. which is incredible. I still want to go and see them in person, but for now, social media is a wonderful bridge. That is one of my favorite things I would say that has come out of it. The other thing with social media is that whereas I grew up in St. Charles feeling like I was one of very few people who came from an Asian background mm-hmm. or that came from a mixed mixed racial household, right. mixed religion household, oh. a lot of different mixed two different languages. Social media has turned me on to so many others who have similar stories to mine. And the idea of your Asian parents saying things like they're proud of you, (laughs) I've come to learn is all of us kids of Asian immigrant parents who are born and raised in America are all struggling with similar. (laughs) I I would assume there's probably a meme. There's so many memes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So enough, that's another way that you, I feel less alone, Aww, you know, great. because my father is a man mm-hmm. and there were definitely gender roles, yeah. especially in Asian households. And he didn't, I don't want to stereotype by any means right. or split things into gender roles, but I do feel that my cousins were raised by my aunt and they speak the language and she like cooks for them and things like that, that were a little bit different having a, fa- having a Asian oh, father. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think you're stereotyping at My, all. I think it's, I think it's fact. Yeah. And do they live here? They live in Georgia. They live in Georgia. Yeah. Okay. And they're wonderful. We just don't get to see them enough. But my mom was wonderful about that. She learned how to cook Thai food. So we were eating Thai food. She learned how to cook Chinese food. She did everything oh, wow, that she could. Great. But she couldn't give me language. Yeah. And she couldn't give me those cultural things. I don't know. There's something called why when you put your hands together in the Thai culture and you bow to people. And there's like a whole slew of, not rules, but just an understanding of like where you put your hands, okay. how much you bow, all those different things have meaning. And I didn't learn that well enough. So I always feel like there was Thai Fest in Chicago recently and I took my kids. I really want my kids to know that they have not only Thai. We went back to Sicily with my husband's family. Mm. I try to, I really want them to know where they have come from it's and beautiful. where their families have come from. But I can't pass on some of those things because I don't understand them myself. So the wonderful thing about social media too is there's now Thai chefs almost religiously watch everything that this woman, her name, her, she's called Hot Thai Thai Kitchen. Kitchen. Yes. Because of you, I follow that. (laughs) I've yet to make something, but because of you, and I'm so grateful you did, I follow and I I like look at her recipes. Yeah. She's fantastic. And she's like me too, where her family actually originated from Hainan, China, and then she was raised in Thailand. So all of a sudden it's, here's people, Mm -hmm. they don't know me, but I know them them. and it, it makes you feel connected. 
So that's really special. That is really special. That's like a, that is a community within a community. And you can feel like even though you don't know them, when you're watching them or learning from them, you can connect with them, learning about backgrounds. Oh, I think it's great that I know you went to Thai Fest and I also know you do immerse your kids in both cultures with Anthony being Italian and Irish. And Irish, yep. <laughs> Wait, what was it the other day? Uh, it's gar- Gaelic and garlic. Gaelic and garlic. I love that so much. <laughs> He's got a shirt that says that, yeah. <laughs> do your girls ever, do they ever ask questions about like your dad's background or Thailand or what it was like for you when you went? No. As a matter of fact, I think that I inundate them with things about Thailand all the time. And they're like, yeah, mom, okay. <laughs> It'll be, say it's 92 degrees outside and it's super humid. I'll be like, this is what it's like on a normal day in Thailand. And they'll be like, mom, we know. <laughs> we know everything, mom. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> yes, exactly. But I feel like there will be a day when maybe they're older and they will they, I'm, I'm sure they're proud of it now, but they'll be like, oh, no, my mom has taught us all those things. And I know that's true because of the fact that I was just like them. I went with my father and we'd sit in this room and I wish that my kids could have this, but they don't. He would sit in a room with his brother and the Thai people that his brother lived with and they would sit there and they would speak Thai and my brother and I would be bored out of our minds. Yep. We couldn't understand them. Like we'd beg to have the TV turned on and, and we would just sit there and I didn't, I was too young to think to ask questions or to mm-hmm. be more interested. And it wasn't until I became an adult that I cr- there's a part of me that yes. just craves that part of me that I feel out of touch with. And so I know that by giving them this and by teaching them everything that I can on my end, you know, and even trying to do more research and, and I look into, we try to take Thai lessons from apps and oh, things like cool. that. I know that they're going to at least know that I, that I tried to pass on what I could to them. I wish, and you never know, but I wish that somewhere along the line you could have an Elizabeth Gilbert experience, and you can do an Eat, Pray, Love for Thailand. I know, and just it could be like we'd have. To, I need. We would need some time to think of a title, but it would be beautiful. <laughs> where a publisher would say, "Please, Lisa, go to Thailand with your family and stay for six months or a year, and just immerse yourself and write all about it." So that's honestly, that's my goal. Has it shaped your writing, like how you write or how you think about things when you write and the, sh- the stories that you share? Yeah, I think that it's there's some irony there in that my father raised me to be fully American and to mm. only speak English. And I went and I majored in English and I wrote and wrote as a kid and I used that English, right? I made the most of my English, right? Like I wrote as I, I remember being so young and writing stories. I wrote like a play on a typewriter in the basement when I was like eight years old. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I went and I majored in English in college. I went and I did my graduate degree in English lit and I and I became an English professor and I teach writing now and I just think that how funny is that? That is I've actually never really when you talk about it like that, just to to talk about it tangibly, that makes that is ironic, actually. That is ironic. Yeah. It was almost subconsciously, not that you didn't know, but like subconsciously put in you. And then that's how you lived out your life. Yeah. I have always written while I've traveled. And it's now, I would say, like in my 30s, I wrote poetry and I wrote about my life and everything that I do is a little bit autobiographical. But I always had this feeling that I was going to, 
I wanted to live my life super authentically and mm. I wanted to have all these experiences. I wanted to be like a Mark Twain or an Ernest mm. Hemingway and travel and have all these experiences and then write about them. And now I'm re- that's really coming into fruition. I'm really taking those experiences and I've had time to reflect on them and I'm turning them into poems and I'm turning them into stories and I'm I'm working on a novel right now. It's written but it's a process. <laughs> it's a beautiful process. And I truly can't wait to read it. Thank you. And I think it's going to be incredible when it comes out. Yeah, I hope so. So yeah, that's my dream. That's my dream. It's been far too long since I've been to Thailand. And it's actually my literal dream because I have dreams. Ask my husband. I'll wake up so many mornings and I'll say, I, I had that dream again where I, I have to get on the plane. It's almost it's like it's been so long that I'm afraid yeah. to go back to Thailand. Sure. I would love to go back with my father or my aunt if I can, because I've always been led along when I've been there. But I do know that someday I want to go on my own and try to do it on my own. I've traveled so many places, but Thailand to me, is it's like my Mount Everest at this point. I truly believe you will get to do all those things. You will get to go with your father, you will get to go with your aunt, and you will get to go with your kids and Anthony. I and sure and it's, so. like, it's almost like a progression. They can experience it through your eyes while you experience it through your father's eyes. Because I read this once and I don't remember where it was, but I loved the saying. It just, that like time folds. So even though it's been 20 years, it's almost like a book where it folds. Yeah. So like right now touches 2001. And there's little things in between. And isn't it funny sometimes when you have all these things inside of you, but then you talk about it and you're like, wow, I had no idea I felt this way Mm -hmm. or I thought this way. Yeah. Yeah. It's especially lately. Like I I just feel it. I feel it more and more as every day goes on is that I I have to get back to Thailand. Like I have to, my kids are my 11 and seven. Like I'd been to Thailand two times, three times already at that point. And here's my cousins and they're getting older and my aunts and uncles over there. They have a whole side of their family that they've never met. Would it be like when you went, when you were younger, did you take a month? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the issue is that we just, it's never really aligned for us. Either my husband hasn't been able to take off work or I haven't been able to take off work. Or now we have the situation with taking the kids out of school. Because the thing is this, we would always go to Thailand in the winter because the weather is a little bit better. It's drier. Okay. And the temperature is slightly cooler. I'm talking like 89 degrees versus (laughs) That is so fascinating to me. My grand, it would be 80 degrees outside at night. And my grandma would say, you need to put on a sweater. It's chilly. And I'd be like, grandma, <laughs> um, it's really hot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sweating. But it also made sense because they would take us over Christmas break. So you'd have those two weeks oh, built okay. in. And then they would just tack on some extra time. We just have not been able to do that so far. And also it costs so much money. And I feel so frustrated by all these parts that play into me being able to see my family, all the logistics behind it. And that's something I think that a lot of people who haven't grown up as an immigrant or an immigrant's kid don't factor into is that there's so many barriers in the way and people don't make these decisions to move lightly. No, not at all. I hate that. It should be accessible. There should be a way for people to go and see their family. It should life should not cost this much. Yeah. And I read something about that recently too, like how much it costs just to be alive. Oh, I know. Like we pay to be alive. Uh-huh. I think of something like that and I was like, that's such a good point. It's wild. It is wild. Yeah. I am hopeful that someone hears this or something pops up in the next year where there is a way where it's more accessible, right? Where people maybe there will be a beautiful philanthropist or someone who <laughs> realizes that they're this should not be like this for families. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah. So in 2005, when my husband and I, we had moved to Chicago. So actually, this must have been 2006. Okay. We hadn't been living there even for a year. And I was robbed at work, oh, which gosh. I've told you before. Yeah. yeah. No, thank you. I know this is something that shaped you. Like you feel like this really shaped who you are, your adult life. Yes. Okay. I would say that was the pivotal moment in my life between me being childlike, uh, innocent, and not being innocent anymore. Uh, that was the moment that for me, everything changed. Okay. And I had a lot of, I don't mean to use this term lightly, but I had a lot of PTSD that, no. that came after that no. from that experience. And I never fully felt like I was able to live in Chicago sure. the way that I had wanted to authentically. I It, it just completely ch- shifted. It was basically like a moment. And I realize this comes from the sheltered upbringing in a way that I had, but it was a moment where it was like, anything can happen. Anything can happen. And I think a lot of times we can go through life thinking everything will be fine. And that was the moment that it was taken away from me. That idea that everything will be fine. I'm, I am so genuinely sorry that happened. Like I, I'm just so sorry that happened. That's awful to have had that violation. And I, It is PTSD, and I don't think you're using the term lightly at all. So I went through a a series of things that I became afraid of. Did you? Yeah, my from that experience, it started manifesting into one thing after another. Uh, I I remember when we lived in Chicago, I would just stay up all night long because I was afraid that if I fell asleep, somebody would break in. Yeah. And then we moved to the suburbs, and I felt a little bit better in the suburbs. But then where I grew up, there was no tornado sirens. So we moved to the suburbs and my husband was at work and there was a bad storm and the tornado sirens went off and I was just terrified. And I'm also a reader and I have an active imagination as a writer. And I had read night of the twisters. I don't know if you remember that book. It was from the eighties. I don't think I do. (laughs) I read that book so many times when I was growing up and it just flipped a switch in my brain. And then Mm -hmm. I was really scared of storms for a while. So one thing happened after another and my husband and I were married in 2009 and we flew to Europe. I really, I'd always wanted to go to Italy for my honeymoon. And my husband was Italian. So it was, he, his background was in Italy and he had never been to Europe. And I was a traveler <laughs> and I wanted to go. And I had the worst, I had a panic attack on the plane oh and it had gosh. never happened to me. I used to love planes. I used to go to the airport just to smell the smell of the airport and just to see the planes take off. And I had a panic attack on the plane. And, uh, and did so, you know what it was at the time or yeah, you did. Okay. I had spent the entire trip being a little bit nervous. Like we were, I remember being in Venice and we were walking the streets late at night and it should have been so beautiful and it should have been so romantic. Yeah. And I was just worried about every shadowy figure that was going by that they were going to hurt us or rob us. Oh, and, and then I had a panic attack on the plane on the way home, pretty much. We had our wedding, and then we got on the plane the next morning. And so it was just one thing after another. Yeah. And I know now, having lived with anxiety, yeah. that when you're tired, when you've had alcohol, mm-hmm. all these things can affect you yeah. and, and affect your reaction to things. And so we had just been through a 10-day honeymoon. It was so beautiful. But on the plane on the way home, I just felt, what am I doing in this flying object. I had been flying my whole life. I loved flying. So when I say that Thailand is like my Mount Everest, I have flown. I have been back to Europe since. We went on that wonderful trip with my family. Oh yeah. Or with my husband's family. Seven years ago, right? But it was a chore. It was a chore. And I struggled so hard. And to go to Thailand, which is pretty much the farthest place that you can travel to. This is all coming together. Yeah. Is why... For me, I know that there. I have a mental barrier too. I, I, and that's why I dream about. Oh, I have to get on the, the plane. plane. It's like your body. 
I hope you don't mind me saying this because I touched on it in the first episode. My, this is just my belief and my experience was that when you have a trauma and it stores in your body, right? And women, we store it everywhere. Men too. And I don't mean like that, but I know just speaking as a woman and it manifests in ways you have no idea. So for you, this awful thing happened and then it just, it stayed in your body. Mm -hmm. And then it came out as panic attacks, not sleeping at night. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Because it was like getting out. And then it almost seems like when you have these dreams about the plane, it's like trying to get out, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Lisa. It yes. affects you on such a deep level that other people may gloss past it, but it affects you on such a deep level. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So why I have all these different parts of me and it's just like the more time that goes on, it's like this bigger pressure to go back and I want to see my family so bad, but I have all these other barriers that I'm still trying to work through. I know it has shaped you in terms of like how it manifests. Has that shaped any of your writing? Yeah, I try to write about it. It's hard. Okay. It's hard. Yeah. And I feel like maybe I'll be able to get there at some point. I have written poems, but there's nothing there's nothing that I would want to keep working on to to publish at this point. I do think that maybe it will come someday, one way or another in my writing. But at this point I haven't been able to create anything that I feel good about. No. Yeah. I completely get that. It means so much to me, Lisa, that you took the time to come on here and share your whole story, but you have these two these two these two things in life that really shaped who you are. Starting out as a child, talking about your father and what it was like to grow up the child of an immigrant. And like what you shared about how he was also an immigrant, like that I that's probably gonna sit with me all night. But then also what happened to you when you were twenty six, twenty seven. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I don't know. And feel free to take a moment with these questions. But the biggest one, the first one I have is, um, what has your story or stories taught you about yourself and life? The one thing that I can say for myself is that I'm always trying to work on myself. And I'm always okay. trying to do better and get better. So I and, and another thing that I would say about myself, too, is that I really try to take advantage of life as much as I can. You do. You really do. <laughs> So that's a beautiful thing that comes out of something like that is because of the fact that there's a part of me that's afraid. Yeah. I hate to say that, but no, it's okay. It's true. There's another part of me that's so glad. Yeah. Every moment that is good. Every moment is good. It makes me feel really grateful. I want to say this. One of the things I love about your Instagram is that I, I view your Instagram almost like a yearbook and you've inspired me to do that where you capture moments and then. I just appreciate that about you so much. As a matter of fact, I remember when I was like in my 20s and I had friends and I'd be like, okay, everybody get together for a picture. And they'd be like, I don't want to be in a picture. And I was like, I don't care. This is our memory. So pre-Instagram, I was taking selfies and and forcing people to get together and take photos because I just love capturing those memories. And I think that's why I write too, is because it's Mm. cementing that moment. It absolutely is. How does your story inspire you to show up in this world? I think going back to being the daughter of an immigrant, I definitely understood that the world was a lot larger than Mm. suburban Illinois. 
which was an incredible thing to know is that people live in a completely different way. People live with completely different means. Mm -hmm. People have different religion and they have different language and they look different. And that's all beautiful. I, you know, I, I really very much felt that way. And as an adult, I think that's come through in a lot of different ways. In my teaching, when I was teaching at um, mostly community colleges, and you see a lot of young people from different backgrounds. And so I really wanted to show up for them and to let them know that they can do anything that they want to do, you know, with their life, um, despite whatever it is that they may have gone through in, in their lives. Yeah. I really just want all people to feel welcome because I know when I was made to feel welcome and I know when I was made to not feel yeah, welcome. Absolutely. And so I want to do that in a way as you and I are both members of the newly formed Equity and Inclusion yes. Commission for the city of St. Charles. Very excited about that. And it's important to me to make people feel like, not to make people feel, but to do what I can to help people feel welcome in this beautiful town that we live in. And you do, Lisa. I feel that every time I've encountered you, if either at writer's group or just in a friend's group, you have always made me feel welcome. And I think that's such a beautiful quality that you have. Yeah, so I think that it's just that. I think that if you go through the drive-thru and you're polite, that makes a huge difference. Like it's the little things and like joining a commission and things like that too, we can make a bigger difference, I hope, in, yes. in, in different ways. Yes. But I think on your daily even if you're having a bad day, being polite to the next person because you don't know what they've been through. And you you and I have talked about this. We're both smilers. We smile at people. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's huge. It is huge. I think that's huge. And that's how I show up in the world. Gosh, that is so great. And I actually do think there's going to be a lot of good done in the equity and inclusion. I really believe that. Big is not necessarily better. I think small. I'm a big um, proponent of local. Things start locally. If you really want change, it starts with yourself at home locally yes. neighbors that's how it starts absolutely um, absolutely here's one of my favorite questions that i get to ask lisa where can people find you on social media and find your writing if you'd like to share my chicken and rice story is found in it's out of the uk it's a publication it's a foodie mag oh, called yes. scran that's S- so cool C-R-A-N. Uh, you can find the chicken and rice story there. I was recently had a couple of poems published in Clever Fox Lit Mag, which is a, a local publication here in, in the Fox Valley area okay. of Illinois. And you can find me on Instagram at Lisa Macione Writes. That's M-A-C-A-I-O-N-E. Because even though my maiden name was Lee P.P. Potvong, <laughs> everybody said that I should grow up and marry a Smith. I did not. <laughs> no. no, you did not. <laughs> I'm excited for people to read your writings, go on your social media, see you as a person. Lisa, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you so much for being on this podcast. I hope you come back. Because I feel like there's so many stories to be told, right? <laughs> and if you ever want to come back and, and talk about like your writing in a couple months, I'd love to do that. That would be incredible. I would love that. It's been such an honor. Thank Aww. you so much. You're so welcome, Lisa. And I almost feel like maybe if we go somewhere in the fall or the winter in an adventure, we can write a story about it. Ooh, <laughs> that's great. I love things like that. I love that too. I'm in it. And I want to thank everyone for listening today. And I hope that these beautiful stories that Lisa shared help you feel supported and seen and heard. If you have a story to share, please feel free to submit to I'm so glad you asked podcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at I'm so glad you asked podcast. I'm so glad you asked is part of the Trident Network. To learn more about our videos, live shows, and other podcasts, please visit thetridentnetwork.com. Mm-hmm.